Christian Vibe. All right, here we go. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is nice. I got Zane across the table from me. How was your day? My day was pretty solid. Um, just went to work, taught, nothing out of the ordinary with that. Students were pretty good until the end when I yelled, which I don't ever do, but what kinda, was the issue? Just I don't know. Just uh I was trying to go through directions and kids were understandably just kind of anxious for the end of the day. So it was like right at the end of the day, I was a little grumpy. Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't happen very often, but it did today. Do you notice that at the end of the day, the kids get more ornery? I don't know if I'd say more ornery. I'd say they're just kind of ready to be done with the day and they're like checked out. Um, and so that might either come with, that might result in just, I don't know, just not following with proper procedures of the school day. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like, I don't know. Everybody. Like at 245, it's like, it's done everything. There's no point anymore. Because the bell hits at three. 305. So when we're like wrapping up and so it's like 20 minutes, they're like, yeah. And I'm kind of checked out too, to be honest. Yeah. And so we're, we're all done at that point. I wonder why 305 and not three. It's like a busing thing at okay, our school. Okay. So making sure that everything's scheduled. So yeah, we start like five minutes later than the other schools and then get out five minutes later mm. for a busing thing. And then whenever you're doing your lessons plans or whenever you're doing your day, are you like, okay, um, I'm not going to plan this all the way out to 305. I'm basically planning out to 245 because I know people are going to be out of gas. <laughs> yeah, usually that's how it goes is like the last 20 minutes of class is usually just like a wrap up. Like if that doesn't go well, it doesn't go well and we're we're good. We're moving on to the next day. So yeah. Yeah. How long have you been a teacher? So this is year seven. I started right out of KU. Um, it's crazy that's been seven years, but all in the same place, teaching mostly the same stuff. So it's been it's been good, and I'm still learning and growing. I feel like. What are you teaching? But I teach uh, mostly freshman biology. Um, I've taught that pretty much the whole time. Um, I've added a couple of elective classes. Um, I teach an intro to health science class, which is kind of preparing kids that are interested in healthcare, um, wanting to be a doctor or a nurse or anything kind of in that realm. Uh, so it kind of just goes through the day-to-day -day of what that looks like. And then I started this year teaching a microbiology class, which is just like an advanced biology, which has been interesting uh, to say the least. And yeah. you have that in high school? Right, which I think is a little bit strange too. Um, we have a lot of different classes that we give kids, and that's one of them. It's something I didn't learn until I came to college and was taking like 400-level classes. And so it's really tough to take that and make it, age appropriate for high schoolers yeah are your kids super smart is it like most ap classes for it's microbiome? not really an ap class it's just like an elective that are for kids that are interested in life sciences that want to go to college and would hopefully help them if they ever take that class in the future so one of the things that fascinates me most about teaching is that you have to get to the point to where you feel confident enough with the material were you really good at microbiology or is there a lesson plan that you look at and essentially just copy it? <laughs> uh, microbiology was honestly the hardest class I ever took at KU. Oh. Um, I can't remember the name of the professor. It was like fair. It was a hard but fair class. And um, it was one that I like, sh I passed it, but it, it was, it was more of a struggle. And so getting, having to teach microbiology to high schoolers is, kind of tough so i'm taking it and making it almost like an advanced biology class focused on microscopic living things so okay. i'm not making it like college level difficulty for sure yeah so that's but, the parameters of microbiology i never took microbiology yeah. i've only heard of it yeah so what is microbiology microbiology is just the study of microorganisms things you can see with your naked eye um, mostly like bacteria um, and focused on, you know, their structure function, their different, um, will focus a lot on like infections and disease and stuff like that too, for sure. Yeah. Is there a lot of virus talk in microbiology? We did, we did talk about viruses, but viruses aren't really that interesting of things. The diseases that they cause are the more interesting part. Oh. Um, cause viruses, they're just really 
a ball of proteins that infects people and causes their DNA to not work as well as it should. So what about the um, coronavirus? The coronavirus? Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit for yeah. sure. And just like more the the pathology of it and the um, the way that it transmits from one person to the next. And we looked at that a little bit. So I feel like it's in grad school at one time I was taking a hostage negotiation class and it was from someone who had worked with the FBI and he actually worked on this. Have you ever heard of the Unabomber? Yeah. Yeah. So he worked on the team and he gets a lot of credit for being the guy to crack the case. Really? Yeah. To track down who it was. And I remember sitting in that class and it was during a lot of this Israel-Palestinian conflict and we got to use all of those current events as like lesson plans and like wow. taking them apart. And I'm just imagining with microbiology and the height of COVID, right? you could go and be like, okay, well, everybody's talking about COVID. Let's look at what particularly that actually is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We definitely did that too. Like in my regular biology classes, I remember I did a lesson plan just around viruses in general once we started hearing about it in China and then... I remember when, you know, the hotspots were like Seattle and New York here and the United States like that February before we went on our, you know, extended spring break for the whole school year. Um, we did a lot of studying with like viruses. We actually did a project that I I didn't know coronavirus was a thing. I didn't know this was coming. And I did a project where we looked at viruses and the students like designed their own virus to learn about DNA and um, protein synthesis and stuff like that. So they like design their own virus and would describe how they would protect a community from their virus. And then like literally the week after that, we start hearing all about COVID and all that (laughs) stuff. So it was kind of weird timing and it's really interesting. Yeah. Somebody was in Wuhan doing that same activity. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. But here we are. Yeah, It just so happened to... Uh, get beyond what they their classroom right right you know get beyond their classroom now (laughs) messing with everybody is there recess at your place it's high school right no it's high school there's no i mean there's like a 30 minute lunch break and that's the the break for the day off campus no no our school's like in the middle of a suburb so there's really nowhere for kids to okay to go which is kind of a blessing but also a curse at the same time because there's just not much around there. How often are you eating cafeteria food? I've never once eaten cafeteria <laughs> food since I have started teaching there. Wow. Um, partially because of time constraints. Like by the time I'd have to walk to the cafeteria and walk back to my classroom, it's like, oh, now I only have yeah. 15 minutes to snarf this thing down. Um, and it's not the cheapest either. I don't know right off the top of my head what it costs. but Would they cut you a deal? I can't remember. I don't remember if our teachers get a deal. I don't think they do. I think yeah. we just have to pay the same price the students pay. They're like, y'all get paid so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now you got to use it yeah. on food. I just eat sandwiches pretty much every lunch. Yeah. It's cheap. It's consistent. It's, it's cheap. And y- so you had mentioned that. What's the go-to sandwich? I I used to eat like, you know, the processed bread and then i was like yeah i'm gaining some weight on this so then i cut back to like the natural whole grain stuff um i mix it up i'll go pastrami one day and then i'll go um turkey the next day maybe like some pepper jack cheese and colby just mixing it up but yeah i eat it because if you're doing a sandwich every day you need the variety you need need some variety in there you know what you should throw in your sandwiches what one day you should do like you said, pastrami, Kobe Jack. Yeah. And then the next day, you should do a different type of sandwich and do Chips Ahoy M&M cookies with ice cream in ice the middle. Ice cream sandwich. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ice cream sandwich. Yeah. And then you do a cookie sandwich, Oreos, and pizza sandwich. You could really expand your sandwich game. I could. But I've, that, I've kind of been known as like the guy that brings and eats a sandwich every day, like in the teacher's lounge. So maybe I'll start making paninis. Maybe I'll start, you know, with the ice cream sandwiches and we'll just go all in the sandwich <laughs> theme. You no longer have to neglect your sandwich identity, yet you still get to expand. Right. One of the cool things about teaching is you are forming the mind of the youth. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you feel pressure? Um. Yes and no. Uh, as far as like 
like in biology, just teaching the simple biology facts, like, no, I don't feel any pressure about that because they're not going to remember. Um, or that might not be their passion or they're never going to be in a situation to apply that. Like, you know, we always get asked the question of when am I ever going to need this? I'm sure you asked the same thing when you were in school. I asked the same thing. Totally. It's honestly like, yeah, you probably never going to, I think it's just more about the, the connections um, and the relationships that we build with students. I was thinking about this today that um, more than just the, the curriculum, there's, been the last couple of years, even since I've become a teacher, more of a push for like social emotional learning, um, kind of like the team building type of things, just teaching students how to be a productive member within their class and then just be able to handle any strange situation that pops up. Because, you know, you and I, we didn't graduate that long ago, like within the last decade. Um, but things are, it's, it's crazy how different things have become in just 10 years. You know, students, they, all have a device. They all um, are flooded with information every single day. You know, I had a student that was like an honor student and I was in a conversation with her and we were talking about social media and she said that she spends like six hours a day on TikTok. And that was like during the school days. And I was like, well, about during the summer, like when you have time off, she's like, I spent like eight to 12 hours a day on TikTok or Snapchat or any of these, you know, the popular ones with them. Um, so it's like, how do we help kids navigate the world that they're going to be in instead of the world that we were in? Um, I heard someone say that once and I don't remember where that came from, but trying to help prepare them for what they're going to be living in than what we are currently. So there's pressure for that. Um, yeah. I would say, um, big really, stakes, right. There is big stakes and you know, some kids, I look at some of the kids that I have in my classes that they're connectedness with people is through a phone or through a device. Um, and that's not me like trying to be an old man, like shaking my cane at kids or whatever, but that's just the reality of it. Um, and we just have to find ways to properly handle that. Mm -hmm. And there are stakes for that for sure. What's your stance on devices in the classroom? How do you navigate that? I I'm pretty laid back on it, honestly. Um, you know, a lot of teachers that I have are in the school that I have are, you know, big against cell phones. And that seems like the biggest issue that they run into is kids on their devices. Um, I really don't make it that big of a deal. And it seems like kids don't make it that big of a deal either. Um, it just, it just seems like something I don't want to police. Um, obviously there's situations where, you know, if kids are taking a picture of another kid, like we can't have that, but if they pull out their phone for a moment, it's like, I'm not freaking out about it. Right. Um, but as long as the students know that we are in an environment that's safe for learning and that these distractions, um, as long as they're not overtaking the learning environment, then I'm not too upset about it. Yeah. All of our students have a laptop anyway, so and we use those super often. So it's not a huge deal to me. Whenever you were in high school, did you hide texts under your table? Not really, no. Um, I mean, I, I remember getting like a smartphone my senior year. Um, I got the iPhone 3, I think is what it was, which at this point is so obsolete. It's mm -hmm. crazy. But no, I don't remember. I don't remember texting kids like below the desk and it didn't seem like that big of a deal. Did you have to hide it though? Did they say no phones in class whenever you were? I think it was like phones in the lockers put yeah. away like totally right. hidden. But I also went to a really small school and everyone knew everyone. So it was like, I'm not going to be texting a kid in a different class because we're all in the same class right now anyway. So I don't know. So small school. Yeah. What was the, what was the, the growing up process like for you? I mean, we all have the same growing up process biologically, right? Yeah. But yeah. as far as what was the town like that you grew up in? I know you said small town and Small school, I imagine, like you said, everybody knows everybody. Farm, no farm. Yeah, I grew up like the closest town was 12 miles away. So we grew up like on a farm, like in the middle of a cornfield. And all my friends, I mean, were kids I grew up with since we were in preschool and just no one moves because it's just a farming community. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was in the middle of nowhere. Um, the school I went to was 70 people, but it was everyone from the county. Oh my I God. came into the 
to uh, go to school. And the town was 500 people. So super, super tiny. Wow. Yeah. Did a lot of your friends leave town whenever a they lot of them are like most of them are still around like in Kansas at least or in roughly that same area. Um, pretty much everyone either went to K-State or like community college. I was like the only one that went to KU. Um, and most people are still in the general area. Yeah. What yeah. was your favorite thing about growing up? Oh, man. Um, I think the the group of people I grew up with, I still have connections with them. And so it, I felt like it was really tight knit um, living in that living in that area. Like I still every Labor Day, we have a fancy football draft with the same people. And we did it when we were freshmen in high school. And we're all still connected with each other. We all still talk to each other. And every time we get together, it's just like old times. So I would say probably that just that close knit community that I had growing up. And I'm trying to remember siblings. Yeah, I have a younger brother. Okay. Um, and then I have a half brother and half sister. Okay. Um, so yeah, my younger brother, he's um, two years younger than I am. And we're best of friends. I mean, we're super close with each other. Uh, we try to spend as much time as we can with each other. So yeah. And you did sports growing up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Soccer, basketball, no, football. I did, I did football and basketball. Um, I actually coach football now. Um, which is a lot of fun. We just finished our season. We won one game hey. out of seven. Um, we actually beat our rivals. So that was, that was huge. The one uh, win is the, the one rival. win was against the rival. So, you know, that good way to end the season, right? Was that um, the last game? It was the second to last game. And okay. then the last game we got totally blown out, but yeah. we, we don't talk. We don't talk you can't about have that one. too much. You can't have too much. Right, <laughs> right, right. We can't. We had to keep it down a peg. We had to, you know. Let's be honest. One in seven sounds much better than zero and eight. That's true. That's yeah, true. I thought that's the direction we were heading. To be completely <laughs> honest, but we uh, pulled one out. And m- all the respect to your football team. I imagine they are great kids. But was there a moment where you said you were watching the game, you were watching them practice, and you were thinking, "We're not winning the league." <laughs> <laughs> um. I would say it was probably like our third game. We we had a long road trip and we're out there playing and it's like during warmups. I'm like the energy here is low. Nothing like and then we go out and get blown out. I'm like, yeah, this is you felt we're in for in for a long one. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's I was talking to a baseball coach and he is working with a youth program right now and he said that they got whooped all season yeah and i asked him a similar question and he was like yeah there was a moment where i realized that i wasn't going to be giving them baseball knowledge i was going to be giving them life knowledge yeah yeah (laughs) yeah that's kind of the direction i took it too it was just like and i was on the i was on the same in the same shoes as they were you know getting beat but i've also been on the other end of that where we were winning a lot um so i told him like that's that's kind of how it goes you just kind of have to take your lumps at this point and then just strive to get better mm-hmm. with it. And yeah, like I kind of like that becomes a place from teaching them fundamentals and the skills around the sport to actually teaching them more life lessons. That's a good outlook for sure. Do you find yourself thinking about that whenever you're coaching this football team? Yeah, I, I coach seventh graders. So since it's the first sport they play like for school sports, um, it's kind of it's I mean, I'm trying to give them as good of an experience as they can so that they are wanting to continue with extracurricular activities, whether it's athletics, whether it's theater, art, band, whatever it is. Um, I want them to at least have a good initial experience because research shows like the kids that are involved in those, whether it's sports or other extracurricular activities, they just are more successful. Yeah. Um, whether it's in high school and beyond. Um, so there's a little bit of pressure in that. Honestly, like I want to give them a good experience. We want to be able to have fun and do well, but at the same time, I want them to be able to be coached in a different way that they're never used to. Um, but also understand that and take good life lessons away from that. Cause I'm sure you had coaches when you played at sports that just would scream and yell and almost treat it too seriously. Yeah. So I'm trying I like try to find the the balance between taking it seriously but also having fun and growing and learning. Right. And 
I had this one coach, I was telling somebody about this earlier, since it's so cold outside right now, it made me think of him. We would be playing and he would schedule practice and it would be so cold and he would tell all of us, there's no such thing as bad weather. There's only bad clothing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And like thinking about it, it's like, yeah, whenever you have a North Face or Eddie Bauer and you got the nice Nike compression pants, being warm is much easier. But I mean, back in the day, buying those Nike sliders, buying all that stuff was so expensive. I didn't have that. So seeing coaches treat it more like military enlisted, non-commissioned officers, their training, it's like, whoa, man, uh, pump the brakes. But talking about getting involved with extracurriculars, super important. And you are kind of in the middle of a really tough time right now because the girl who's spending six hours on TikTok probably doesn't want to spend, probably doesn't want to take an hour of that to go do dance or sports. Uh, so I, I imagine you have to be really good at your job or else enticing TikTok is like, hey, I can teach you some sports stuff. Yeah, it's, it's competing for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess it's just trying to find ways to have kids kind of meet you in the middle um, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's interesting for sure. It's just a different, different climate. It's a different landscape. What's a funny, what's, I asked somebody else this and I'm always curious because I never played pro ball. I never played college yeah. ball, but I loved it. And there was some moments where I was the best kid on the team and some moments where I remember I joined a, regional competitive team and I barely made the cut. They put me on the second string. They didn't even put me in the position I played. They put me on the back line defense. This was soccer and I wasn't the best person on the team. But looking back, there are a lot of different moments and I do have like a favorite sports moment. So what is your favorite sports moment? Oh man. Um, See, when I was growing up, I, I hit my growth spurt super early. And so I was like six foot two, like in middle school. Wow. And so I was like towering over everyone. I thought I was going to be seven foot tall. Like I thought I was going to be just a monster. And then everyone else just slowly over the years started to catch up with me. Um, but as far as like sports stories go, I'm trying to think like the things that stick out to me are, aren't the things that like happened during games mm-hmm. it's just the things that kind of happened around that um like i, I when we would practice basketball our basketball practice would start a couple hours after school so we'd have like two hours of downtime and we invented this game called car tag um where being in a small town like 500 people so really tiny town like a mile and a half across we play this game where we had two cars and there'd be one team in one car one team in another car and it was basically hide and seek So one car would just go, they had to stay in the city limits. So you go drive and park somewhere like to try to hide your car. And the other car would drive around to look for them um, until you found them. And then that was the game, which sounds really dumb, but it was super fun because we'd get creative and we would try to go hide in different places. Um, So the memory that I have with that is there was one day it was kind of snowy. And so it was kind of wet out. It was like that weird slush. And my, my friends convinced me that the other team was like parked behind the school. So I was like, okay, we'll, we'll drive back there. So I like drove around the back of the school. They weren't there, but my car got stuck like in the schoolyard. And like, I started freaking out cause I was like, oh crap, I'm going to tear up the schoolyard. I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for that. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and so my friends jump out and they start pushing to get me out of the mud And so I'm spinning my tires and then just throw a bunch of mud on them. And so they're covered in mud and like I peel, peel out of there and just like kind of left them, which was not, not very good of me, but was funny at the time. It was funny at the time. I had, you know, other friends that were just laughing at me and they're, they're covered in mud. I don't want them to get mud in my car. And, um, I don't know if the teachers knew about it, but the next day at school, there was like these little jokes like around mud and like getting wow. cars stuck. And so I think they knew, but I didn't get in trouble for it. 
they never yeah. said they never said like a this. teacher was like i was in an e i think it was an economics class and he was giving some example about supply and demand his example involved mud flaps the next day the day after i got stuck in the mud and there was another teacher i can't remember talking about gave us a story about his car getting stuck or something so oh man it's like they somehow knew about it do you remember if when you were hearing that it example were your ears burning and were you thinking oh my gosh they know like there was like two of my friends that were in my car during this and i like looked across the room at them and they're like they're like yeah they're 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 calling you out yeah did you get in a lot of trouble as a kid no that's probably why i was like freaking out as i was kind of a by the book like follow the rules type of kid Mm -hmm. so yeah i never really got in trouble my brother did my brother was the one that always got in trouble and he's younger than you. He's like two years younger than me. And oftentimes that was probably my fault of getting him into trouble. But but it never got how, pushed against you. You know, I had an older brother or I have an older brother. Yeah. And watching him, sometimes he would get in trouble. And that was kind of like my compass was like, okay, maybe you don't do that. Yeah. You yeah. know, but for you, it's your younger brother. Yeah. So I imagine there may have been like a maybe i'll shake things up or it was kind of like egging them on type of thing <laughs> yeah yeah well wisdom comes from seeing other people's mistakes i guess so and learning from that it it does the most wise thing in high school is to fit in i or middle school especially everybody just wants to fit in yeah that seems to be like the smartest move you don't want to stand out you want to have the big group of friends but for you, you're in middle school and you're six two. Yeah. So what was it like being the tall guy? I don't know. It was like I don't know. It was not weird or anything like that. It was just like, yeah, I'm the the tall guy in school and I'm gonna continue to be tall forever, but then no, it didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen. Because it's like an identity. Like, yeah, it really was. It was mm-hmm. weird. I think I have an email that has the word tall in it, like from my middle school email address. Yeah. Yeah, because I was just like way taller than everyone. What do you think it was? The email? I don't. I think it was just tall, and then my name. Okay. Like I think it was like Tall O'Brien at Hotmail or whatever it was. I'm pretty sure. I love those middle school emails. Yeah, It'll yeah. Be like you know, like the instant messenger. Did you do? Did you do the Windows name or what was it? AOL instant yes. messenger. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was that was the thing. It, it was the thing because we graduated. When did you graduate high school? 2012. Yeah, I graduated 13. So like we graduated around the same time. Right. We had the same tech. I came up in Northeast Oklahoma. So there were a bit beyond my town. There was farms. But for the most part, I never, we would go to a cornfield every now and then. And that would be on a farm or like a pumpkin farm. Yeah. But never grew up around a farm. Did you feel... A longing for the big city. It's kind of weird. Like I, so my parents were divorced. And so my stepdad is the the farmer. So we kind of married into that. And so I didn't have like the biggest interest in farming. Yeah. Um, and also like we don't have livestock or anything like that. So it was all corn, soybeans. And so the seasons that they were busy, I was always in school or doing football or basketball or any sports. And so I wasn't really available to help around the farm. So I guess I didn't really long for the big city per se, but I'm also don't consider myself like that typical farm boy. Right. If that makes sense. Um, I feel like Lawrence is a town that's kind of a happy medium. Like it's not a huge town, but it has everything you need. And then Kansas City's, you know, just a quick drive away. And I don't know. I've never really lived in a big city. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure what it would even be like, to be honest. It's so overwhelming. Even yeah. Kansas City for me, going downtown, it's it's cool to see everything. But for me, the town I grew up in was a little bit bigger than Lawrence, population-wise. But as far as area-wise, it doesn't seem to be much different. And I like that happy medium. Yeah. I don't want it to be super big. I don't want it to be super small. But knowing that I can just see people around here, not have to go anywhere else is nice. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what it would be like to live in like New York or 
Chicago where there's people that live above and below you and then you pretty much have to walk everywhere or get rides everywhere. How how far away did you move to university? What? So it was like an hour, an hour away. Um, so it's pretty close. Like I was familiar with Lawrence before I came to school here. I'd been there tons of times and were you a um, was really Jayhawk family? Yeah, yeah. My whole family was Jayhawks for generations. I'm the first one in my immediate family that went to KU. But uh, my brother came here for a couple years afterwards. And um, yeah, I was the first one that came here. Nice. Yeah. Did the K-State, KU rivalry take place in your house at all? Um, Not seriously, no. My stepdad, I was kind of a K-State fan, but then as after he married my mom, he kind of turned him sure. to a KU fan mm-hmm. um, as we watched, you know, all the basketball games and football games and all that stuff. So were you homesick moving an hour away? I really was. Yeah. Um, it was actually a kind of a rough first year. Um, I was pretty isolated. I felt like um, I'm a pretty introverted person in the first place. So I mostly would just kind of spend time by myself in my apartment and, um, my studies were pretty good. Like I was my freshman year were, was my best grades for sure. Wow. That's um, rare. Yeah. Like I, in high school, I didn't really have to study that much. Um, but when I went to college, it was like, I'm going to make the best of this. Um, and I got like straight A's my first year, um, uh, which was good. Um, but yeah, I was very isolated. Um, I would mostly go home on the weekends to spend time with my family. Um, but yeah, it was I was pretty homesick for parts of it for sure. Did you ever have a long distance relationship with a girl back home? No, no. Actually, Lindsay, my wife, is the only girl I ever dated, and so wow. yeah, I didn't really date. I was just kind of a single guy, just going through school and doing my best with that. I mean, middle school, you had to have had some relationships. <laughs> I was just a tall, gangly, goofy kid. So. You're the tallest guy. Yeah, I was goofy though i don't it's so it's funny because goofy being goofy do you identify as goofy a little bit yeah yeah kind of socially awkward sometimes you know because initially like goofiness to me whenever somebody called me goofy for a while i didn't like it i was like what the heck you know but as i've grown older and you get into the business world and you meet all these different people. You just meet people and you're like, I wish you were a bit more goofy. And that idea of, I wish you were a bit more quirky. I wish there was yeah. something more exciting. Uh, Becomes almost a term of endearment. Yeah, right. It does. And now we've gotten to the point to where we see these people who their goofiness is what really elevates them, right? Like you and I, we have... We're still exploring this, but a similar taste of humor yeah, to some degree because we like different individuals. And whenever you think of like Nathan Fielder, yeah, very goofy. Right. To, to a, to the nth degree. Right, like socially awkward to the point where it is uncomfortable to watch. Uncomfortable to watch. And he has put so much time in there. And I'm sure at some point it's a big like detriment in his mind like dang it why can't i be super smooth and super uh initially like congenial with everybody but he uses it as a superpower uh and i've tried my best to lean into the goofy side of the house uh without overthinking it but i'm imagining the tall goofy guy i'm sure you had some good (laughs) one-liners you have to survive in middle school yeah yeah I have kind of a dry sense of humor sometimes too. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I could be pretty witty. Um, sometimes I feel like I have to be careful too. So I don't come across as just saying something that could, you know, make me look like a jerk. But but you have to take the risk for the bit. Right, right, right. And I feel I feel like I'm aware of when someone could, could handle a little, little jab here and there, you know? Yes. And that's the beauty is there's the lines there's a lot that happens in between them. But if there's someone who's able to go outside the lines, yet do it in a manner in which it makes people laugh, but not upset people. Right, right. You know, like 
that's that's the science. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned that Lindsay was your first girlfriend. What was that process like of getting to know her and uh, thinking to yourself, hey, this is going to be my first girlfriend? Yeah. Um, so our story is kind of a typical millennial type of thing. We just met online um, like a lot of people are now, which at first it seemed like when like online dating was a, was a big thing first coming up, like it seemed kind of dangerous. Like you don't know who this person is mm-hmm. on the other side. Um, now it seems like it's not, I don't want to say the word taboo, but um, there's not as much of a stigma around it as there, as there was. So um, at that point in time, I was like, you know, I'm going to just try it and do the online dating thing. And Lindsay and I, we connected. Um, we didn't really like, beat around the bush with things, I guess we just, you know, decided to meet with each other and, um, we hit it off pretty well. We knew we had some similarities, um, as far as like faith, um, and family is a pretty big priority for us. Um, so we kind of were able to hit it off just around those, um, really big commonalities between the two of us. And then, um, once you get to know Lindsay, she, she's also a pretty goofy person. Mm-hmm. Um, her sense of humor is, it meshed really well with mine. And we also pretty early on realized that we are two totally different people and we found a way to really play that to our strength. Um, you know, you hear people discussing, you know, who they, who they want to find for their, um, partner or their, um, they, they want someone that's the same as them. Um, but then they don't necessarily realize what that might come with. Um, it might work for people. It might not, uh, for Lindsay and I, we were able to make it work really well. She's very extroverted and I play off that strength, but I'm very introverted and pretty laid back and she plays off that strength too. So yeah, we just felt like we worked very well together and we still do. With the online dating piece, was there ever a moment where you thought she was fake and not real? Yes. I kept seeing her profile pop up on match and I was like, cause she's really into photography and takes really good pictures. I was like, that looks more than just a selfie, right? And she's in a nice dress or whatever. I could still remember the picture that she used. I was like, I'm not sure if that's a real person, but I'm going to shoot my shot. And it worked. I made it. At some point, you're like, okay, this may be a bot. Right. But, <laughs> you know, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have any girlfriends in the first place. So, you know, who knows? Right. You ever seen that movie, Her? Yes. With Joaquin Phoenix and he falls in love with. One of my with, favorite movies. Yeah. Yeah, you know, who knows? Maybe that was the path I was going down. And Scarlett Johansson played the voice. Right. And watching that, I watched that on the airplane. No, actually, I was in the hotel whenever I was traveling. And I was blown away because my friend kept saying, you need to watch her. You need to watch her. Yeah. And I finally did it. And I was like, whoa. And I do think that, like, looking into artificial intelligence and this idea of, artificial intelligence, teaching artificial intelligence and getting to the point to where they could recreate people like that. I think it's definitely possible. It's crazy. Yeah. Super crazy. You mentioned as you get to know Lindsay, she will have, or she has a pretty goofy sense of humor. Do you remember one of the first times to where you all like tapped into that? Like maybe the second time hanging out or the third time hanging out? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the first thing I realized was that her speaking voice was different. Um, once she got more comfortable around me, like her voice was more like high pitched, like when you're talking to someone on the phone, like you're trying to be polite. Yeah. And then I started to notice like that was starting to go away and her actual real voice was coming out. And I was probably the same way. I probably spoke with a more congenial, polite type of voice or whatever. Totally. And then, um, oh yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. Um, I remember on our third date, so on our second date, she invited me to go watch her mom's band perform. Her mom plays in a bluegrass band. And so this is like before our second date. She's like, do you want to intimidate? Yeah. She's like, do you want to go, you know, watch my mom's band perform? And I'm like, no, I don't like in my mind. I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go. I'll go meet you. And so we're there, you know, sitting at a table watching her mom's bluegrass band perform. I basically met all of her family at that point now because they're all there watching and we're, we're just kind of sitting there listening and she grabs a package of sugar 
and she throws it in front of me and says, you dropped your name tag. And it's uh-huh. sugar on there. Yeah. It's like a pickup line. Uh-huh. I was like, it took me a minute to figure out like, what are you talking about? And she's like, oh, that's a pickup line. I was like, okay, that you're so pretty, funny. you're pretty funny. So, yeah. um, that was probably the first time where she came out of her shell a little bit. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Then, I was like, that's funny. And I probably had nothing funny to follow that up with, but you were probably, I probably just did the same thing back. I probably grabbed another sugar packet and threw it down and said, you dropped your name tag too. And it wasn't funny, but were you psyching yourself out? Because this is like some of the first official dates that you've, you're going on. Yeah. I was just like, see, I felt like with Lindsay, when we were dating, we, you know, didn't do the typical like playing game type of thing, you know, like, Oh, I got to wait for this long before I can go see her again or whatever. So I think we both felt super comfortable. Um, and I just really wasn't trying to put pressure on myself. So, um, it was, it was a really good way to get to know each other. And I don't know if I'd recommend people to go meet someone's family on the third date, unless if you're just that comfortable with it, but it, it was good. I, mm-hmm. I endeared myself to her family then. So, yeah. And you got to see, because bluegrass is important to her music. <laughs> yeah. And that bluegrass band, it's what they do, right? Like families do different things right. and they value different things. And I think that's one of the coolest things is seeing family bands. It, it's something that I wasn't used to until I met Lindsay. So she has her family band now with her mom. And so Lindsay sings and plays piano in a second band with her mom. So it's, it's interesting. I didn't, my family wasn't super musical growing up. Yeah. Um, like we would sing around the house and stuff like songs that we would hear on the radio, but none of us really seriously played instruments or anything like that, which I kind of looking back at it, like everyone in my family is like, Oh, I wish we, you know, learned how to play guitar, play piano or things like that. I didn't learn to play until like later on. Um, I just kind of started to teach myself how to play guitar when I was like 16. Um, but yeah, my family wasn't super musical. So just having a peek into her family and just their kind of dynamic with that was really interesting early yeah. on. Yeah, it's, I remember whenever I was dating Annie, we had been dating for mm, about a month and a half, which at the time her family was in Wisconsin. My family's in Oklahoma. We're doing grad school in North Carolina. So in order to meet the family, either you have to make a trip or they're making a trip to you. And Annie and I were getting breakfast one day and she said, hey, my family's going to be coming into town in a week. I would love for you to meet them. Yeah. And I remember feeling like like taking a big <laughs> gulp, right? Yeah. And thinking, oh boy, and feeling anxious because that first time where you meet them and it's funny i went with her her parents to a steakhouse and we were sitting down and talking and it was that you just imagine the the nerves and you're critical about what you're saying and we put so much into it i'm really curious as to what it's going to be like when you're on the other side of that whenever if I ever have a kid one day right and the kid gets to that point to where they're dating and I meet their significant other for the first time like what's even going on through your head like I imagine whenever you're in that situation you're probably super nervous too right right it's probably equal Mm -hmm. I would imagine it's all that uncertainty and I say all that just to say I can only imagine how you felt like, all right, I'm going to go to the bluegrass. I'm going to go watch it. To be honest, now that I think about it and after you say that, it was actually probably easier that way because there was like an activity that we were doing instead of just like sitting down at a steak dinner and having to, you know, look them in the eye and uh, be a little unnatural. Yeah. Um, So maybe it was actually easier the way that it happened with us. Yeah. Because it removes the focus from you all right, to them. And then you get to look at it together. Right. Now, we 
Annie and I have gotten to know you and Lindsay a little bit and it's so cool to see like young couples we're doing our thing. What is something that you believe you and Lindsay are really good at together as far as like if you were on Survivor, okay, or the Amazing Race and they said do this thing is there an activity in particular that you think you all would blow the competition away at? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, like trying to think of something witty, like diffusing a bomb, but we've never had to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's hmm. not one you want to, that's not one you want to have to try to practice, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah. One of the things that Annie and I can get pretty good at is one would be solving riddles. Okay. I think that have you ever seen The Hobbit? Or yeah. is it it's The Hobbit, right? Where he meets with Gollum. Right. And he has, he has to, to answer the riddles. Yeah. I think we'd be decent at that. We'd yeah. probably be very scared. Another thing would be she's really good with roller coasters. I don't like them though. Okay. So if we had to do some like amazing race thing and it was ride this huge thing, she'd be doing that. And then I'd be down though solving the clue. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. And you win amazing race. And we would win and we'd get a million dollars. Yeah. And with that a million dollars, we'd probably invest in a S and P 500 index fund and get hopefully 4% or not 4%. Let's like say like 7%. And that's 70 grand per year. And then I'd no longer look for a job. Do that high dividend fund. Yeah. Yeah. Do the high dividend, build a dividend fortress. What's your dream job? I really do think it's teaching. Um, I I enjoy it and I have a hard time seeing myself leave. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I do keep my eyes open for other things. Um, It would always be within education of some kind, Um, whether it is in the classroom or um, like within curriculum and instruction or instructional design or something where I'm educating people, um, whether it's in that traditional sense or not. Um, I also do think it would be interesting to help educators become better, better educators, whether it, whether it's like instructional coaching or, um, teacher preparation programs or things like that. So yeah, something within education for sure. Um, yeah. Would you ever want to be a principal? No, I, I don't have much of an interest in being an administrator. Um, mostly the reason is, and I always get told like the, the principles, the things that they deal with are kind of like the worst side of teaching, like discipline behaviors and having to deal with parents and um, more of the, I don't want to say legal work, but like the paperwork and that kind of stuff. So I would say probably not. Um, if I was ever in administration, it would be more within like the curriculum and instruction yeah. um, side, which would more impact what happens in the actual classroom. You like the classroom? Yes. Yeah. I like I like the learning process for sure. But your first few years as a teacher, did you feel... How about the first day as a teacher? What's that like? So I, I think back to like my student teaching when I kind of just showed up in the classroom and it was already an established room with the teacher that had all of her rules and norms and everything kind of set. And there was one day where uh, she kind of just threw me in. And like the first week, I just kind of sat and watched and kind of got to know the kids and stuff. And then she started this activity. Uh, I remember they were like doing exercise and trying to predict how their heart rates are going to go up and down. Um, It's kind of a science um, experiment. And she started the activity and then just left, like left school for the day. And so I'm like looking around <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm running the show the rest of the way. And it was really good. It was like being thrown into the deep end, but it was very beneficial. I honestly don't remember my first actual full day teaching. Um, I just remember it being a lot of like, you know, like the last day of school where nothing serious actually happens it, the first day of school is also kind of like that, where it's more just kids going from class to class, figuring out, learning who their teacher is and stuff like that. So that wasn't too big of an issue. 
Yeah. Yeah. I feel like going from student teacher to where you're working with somebody who's built norms, it's built structure, and then you're fitting that. And then you go and establish your own. I did grad student teaching, which is a little bit similar in the idea of I worked with a professor. So I basically worked with her structure. Yet that idea of having a classroom to myself and building the course content and decorating it and building a culture, it's daunting to me. Yeah. It was weird. Like I, I actually remember like the couple days leading up to when I was first going to start the school year. And for some reason in my head, I was more worried about like what my classroom was going to look like than anything. Yeah. Which is weird because it's a science room and there's not really like there's cabinets all along the wall for science equipment. So there's not really room to like hang posters and do a bulletin board and stuff. But I was worried like what posters am I going to hang up, you know, like the periodic table. Right, right, right. (laughs) And so I remember like worrying about that. And then one of the other teachers was like, don't worry too much about that. Like that's not a huge deal. Like if that's the thing you're worried about, then um, you're probably in a good spot. Worry more about like the human beings. Like, yeah, the human piece of establishing a connection between the students and the parents and stuff like that. And um, I've kind of learned that to brush off those other things. But it is daunting for sure. What's it like working with parents? I've had a pretty good relationship with parents. I've never really had anything that I would categorize as just being a totally like negative reaction, which is good. I'm really pleased with that. Um, I'm pretty like proactive as far as communication goes. Um, and it's weird, like how plugged in parents are now, like they'll be getting emails all day long about like students grades and newsletters and stuff like that. So they're more in the know than they ever have been. And I think that probably helps with communication and they're not caught by surprise as often. Um, typically the parents that have a big issue with something going on in the school that gets directed to like administration. And so I don't have to deal with that too much. Um, I have heard horror stories from other teachers, but um, just about parents just not being pleasant. And I don't know. I haven't ever had to deal with that, which is good. Have you had to say, go to the principal's office? Yes, um, very rarely. But I'll usually walk a kid down to the principal's office. So um, I've only had to do that a couple times. Not very often. Usually just me having a conversation one-on-one with the kid and explaining like where I'm coming from. And they usually are able to turn it around. So I remember one time I had a kid and I, they could disrespect me and it's, I'm whatever. I'm like pretty even keel all the time, but he was being pretty disrespectful to a para that was trying to help him. And like, I kind of got on him and like send him out into the hallway. And when I walked out into the hallway, he was standing like with his face in the corner. Like, I don't know if your parents ever, like when you got in trouble, like go stand in the corner. That's what my mom always did um but he was like standing in the corner like he was in trouble i was like all right that's punishment enough and just had him come back into the classroom so yeah you're yeah. like okay yeah he's like okay you message loud and clear you understand the situation yeah, yeah. whenever you walk a kid to the principal's office you leave the whole class though if i'm comfortable if like if it's a good group of kids and i'm yeah. comfortable with leaving them yeah that's and i usually do have classes that are comfortable enough that I could leave them on their own and it's usually fine. I just hope the principal doesn't walk in at that point. And let's be honest, if you have to walk a kid to the principal's office, more than likely the rest of the class is relieved. Yeah. That, that kid's being walked to the yeah. principal's office. Yeah. Usually that's the case. Yeah. Usually like I'm pretty good about like if a kid's being disruptive, I'll like stop what I'm doing like mid sentence even and just kind of like look at them and the other kids are like, Hey, he's, he's looking at you and because they, the vast majority of kids, they, whether they want to admit it or not, they want to be there. They want to do well and they're trying to learn. Um, and they, they don't allow or really want other people to infringe on that. Yeah. Right. It's, it's upsetting whenever you go to school and there's always that same person. And a lot of the times you add the context and that, troublemaker is wanting attention right and doing attention seeking behavior but unfortunately that affects everybody there 
what's been your this is a big one it's one of those hard to think about but proudest moment as a teacher yeah it's it was kind of a small thing last year i had a like last year was the first year that i taught anything that wasn't for a freshman class like i started to have upperclassmen um and some of them were kids that i had had previously i just remember like the first day when i had these kids that i taught in their freshman year come back for this class as a senior and they just seemed really excited to be back in my classroom and they're like i'm happy that i'm you know back here mr o'brien i was like okay that's cool that's pretty cool that they were looking forward to coming back to my classroom and so not really a award or anything like that, but just it was a lot of good validation. And um, that was really nice. Yeah, I'd say that was probably the moment. I was the proudest. Yeah, because you show up to work and these kids are expressing like, hey, they're grateful to have you as a teacher, uh, which says a lot, right? Because do you ever get worn down or feel burnt out that maybe you're not doing that good of enough job for your kids? Yeah, sometimes I do. Sometimes I'll be um, like even like today at the end of the day, I was kind of, you know, there was there were some things going on in school and I was a little bit stressed out and I didn't feel like I was doing the best job that I could. And some days when I come home from that, it's like, man, that was that was not my best. And sometimes it's not because of me or it's because of extenuating circumstances Sometimes it's literally just going through the motions of the day. And um, and then I think that's kind of when I recognize like, hey, something's, something's going on here. I'm burning myself out. Um, and I, I do put pressure on myself, but I also get to that point where I realize like I, I am one part of this kid's life and I'm trying to do the best I can to help them in that one part, but I also can't make the whole difference by myself. So... Um, I try to take a little bit of pressure off myself um, in that respect. So sometimes I do get burned out when I feel like that maybe I'm not living up to the expectations I'm putting on myself. Mm -hmm. There's going to be people who listen to this thinking about being teachers and maybe they're in high school, maybe they're studying education right now or doing a career pivot. They're already graduated. They want to transition into teaching what advice would you give to people who are considering getting into teaching? Yeah. Um, it would definitely be just make sure that they're passionate about it first because it is, it is a type of job where you can't really just leave it and then come home and it's, it's behind you. It's something that you kind of carry with you throughout the whole school year. Um, so I, I would just caution them to first be, pre be prepared for that. Um, and then the advice I would give them is just, don't take it too seriously. I think sometimes, and sometimes students pick it up too, where if a teacher is, you know, taking everything so seriously that they don't, they're not able to create a environment of trust and respect. Um, and I don't know, it's, it's, I kind of lost my train of thought, but yeah, it's um, that idea of whenever you leave, it's not like a, turnpike toll person you leave and somebody replaces you and right. it keeps going by and it doesn't matter what happened when you leave because whenever you show up it's just the same thing over and over again uh one of the cool things i would imagine with teaching is that you are working with people who are always growing right so day one in august they're going to be much different than they are in may and when they go home, the stuff that happens at home, that's also going to show up at the classroom too. Right. Is there moments or are there moments that you have where you could tell that stuff's happening at home? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and sometimes it's even like you could see it physically, you could see it physically, you could see it um, just based off of what you had noticed previously about the student and just their demeanor for the day. Um, and then I try to be flexible with them and try to meet them where they are. Um, I usually will tell kids like one of the things at the beginning of the year, like I want to be empathetic with them and try to meet them where they are in their situation, but also hold them to a certain standard. So if I notice that a kid is 
um, having a rough day or if there's something going on in the background, um, I kind of, you know, we'll give them some grace that day and then I'll try to see maybe if the next day, if it's corrected, maybe it was something like, I don't know, maybe they had a bad soccer practice the day before and they're just not looking forward to going to practice. Um, or it could be like a big, like family issue where their family's going through stuff and then we'll, I'll make sure to follow up with them and be like, Hey, I'm here for you. I'll be flexible with you. I'll give you grace with our, you know, our schoolwork. Um, but let's, you know, treat the human side of it first for sure. Yeah. Um, and like even, you know, you look for things like, um, you know, social and emotional changes, um, and trying to decide whether it's just a natural change or whether it is something happening in the background is kind of tricky for sure. Um, that's luckily why we have counselors and stuff that are a little bit more trained with that. But oftentimes the counselors will like lean on the teachers and be like, Hey, have you seen anything in class um, that we could do to help this kid? Mm-hmm. That would be something that I would imagine people get intimidated by is when we're talking about just biology terms and vocabulary, then that's one thing to remember to memorize this stuff and to remember that, the mitochondria is the powerhouse. Or, yeah, that's the joke, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, all of that. But then to think about, I get to be that person, that frontline representative for of education to these this kid. And this kid may have just experienced something terrible at the house and learning, what am I going to do about that? Right. Um, did, did you find yourself scared? or nervous? Um, I remember like preparing to be a teacher when I made that decision to, and I, I ran into someone that I went to church with a long time ago when I was a pretty little kid and he was a teacher and we just started having conversation. And, you know, he asked me like, are you in college now? I was like, yeah, I'm at KU. I'm wanting to be a teacher. And he said, um, he said two things. One was, um, don't let the bastards get you down. First of all, <laughs> I was like, okay, thanks. And then the second thing he said, whether the students realize it or not, a lot of them, the best part of their day is coming to school, whether they want to admit it or not because of what's going on at home. Wow. So I was like, I took those two things and I was like, okay, you know, as long as I give my best, as long as I'm not, you know, just going through the motions every single day, then if I'm the bright spot of a kid's day, like once maybe their whole school year, then maybe that would be worth it. Mm-hmm. So, That's a good, two good bits of advice. Yes. <laughs> was he? He was a retired teacher, so he had taught forever. Seasoned. He yeah. knew what he was he talking knew, about. He knew what he was talking about. So I was like, okay, I appreciated that advice. Have you ever caught a kid lying to you? Yes. Um, I'm trying to remember a specific example, mostly with football. It's usually like, like I'll talk to them about their grades. Like I have a pretty high standard. Like if they're failing a class, they can't play. Like that's, that's kind of been my, my standard with that. And usually like I'll communicate with their teachers and just kind of ask like what's going on in class. And I remember one time there was a kid that was just, you know, being the typical class clown or whatever, and was making the learning environment difficult for everyone else. And so I just pulled him into my office and I just started asking him about it. I was like, so tell me how things are going in so-and-so's class. And he lied about it. He's like, things are going fine. I was like, really? And then just kind of kept asking questions and it just keeps spiraling. So usually if I catch a kid in a lie, I'll just start asking more questions and they'll they'll eventually tell on themselves. Yeah. At some point it gets exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Building the false narrative. Right. You're like, well, if you look at the tape here. Right. (laughs) Right. I've, I've some emails I could show you. Right. I can see that you haven't raised your hand once. Yeah. Yeah actually you're reading your phone over here yeah yeah it's it's a big job it's uh it's one of those jobs that it's hard to imagine how impactful teachers actually are and then once you do imagine that you want them to be as good as they can possibly be so one of the things that i can be competitive right that's yeah part of my nature and I'm always trying to get better. Now, as a teacher, how do you get better and what do you want to get better at? Teachers are really rigid people 
and don't really like change or they don't like people telling them how to teach their classes. And teachers are also the most complainingest group of people I've ever met. And maybe that's just because what I've been around, but they complain a lot. Um, And the reason I say that is part of getting better. We are continually flooded with like new strategies to try in the classroom, new procedures, and then no one really wants to try them. I kind of try to make it an effort to try things. And then I feel like with that, I'm just, I am, I improve. Um, So it's more just taking things that we learn and actually putting it into practice and then reflecting on it and then just trying to incrementally get better. Um, The hard thing about it though, is it's like, there's not a one size fits all approach for each individual student plus each individual teacher. So I could be teaching the same exact thing as another teacher, but we could teach it in wildly different ways. And it could both be successful because that was what was best for both of us and our personalities and just the way that we approach things. So um, I guess trying to get better, there's just those natural opportunities to seek out. Um, And there's, I think the reflection process is huge of just like looking at why something didn't work and then not beating yourself up over it and then trying to change it. Yeah. That makes sense. I know that they have those pedagogy instructors, right? Like teaching people right. how to That's teach. something I would like to do. Yeah. For sure. But teachers don't always like to hear that. They don't like to hear that maybe the way that they're doing things is not the best way or to even try to consider doing something different, um, which I don't know if I teach for the rest of my career and I'm 45, 50 years old, I might be the same way. Who knows? I'm, I'm young and willing to learn at this point but mm-hmm. hopefully in 10 years you'll be able to listen back to this <laughs> and say you'll you'll uh, send me a reminder to listen to this and and say okay maybe i should consider yeah, this like, new augmented reality you got, thing me, that, you got me chris i'll consider you know teaching in the metaverse yeah or whatever going forward instead of using um microbiology we're going to be looking at nanobiology we're going to be looking (laughs) breaking some fourth walls here yeah talking to ourselves in the future (laughs) right that's the benefit of podcasting though you know it is it's almost like a self-reflective thing and i could say future chris if you're listening to this right now right keep doing your thing yeah Yeah. hopefully it's a good one yeah absolutely (laughs) if the thing you're doing is good then keep doing it if not then change your ways yeah do you have a message to future zane in 10 years Say that again. Do you have a message to your future self in 10 years? A message to my future self in 10 years. It might just be a pep top of just like, you know, keep trucking on, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know where I'll be in 10 years. That's that's the crazy thing. It might yeah. be very similar. We might have kids. You never know. Yeah. Well, you'll be able to show them this podcast. Yeah. yeah. So before we wrap, anything we should hit anything you're on your first podcast yeah anything you want to put out there in the digital space anything i want to put out there in the digital space Uh, i don't know i don't have any really interesting stories that come up off the top of my head (laughs) yeah yeah join the club that's the hard part is whenever you have the microphone in front of you and you're sitting down you want it to be as entertaining and as fun as possible right and at the same time we can only be thinking about one thing, but I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, it was fun. As a teacher, you are forming the minds of the youth. Appreciate so it. keep doing your thing. Yeah. All right, folks. We'll see you next time. Bye.